Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is week number nine in our 10-week series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So next week, we'll conclude this study. And if you've missed any of the weekends so far, I would uh, invite you to go back and listen to the messages on our podcast. So we know Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. This sermon is an explanation of what it means to live according to God's coming kingdom. So it's not just eyes and ears right here and now today in our lives, but it's this foresight, this anticipation for God's coming kingdom and how do we live according to that. And we see in Scripture Jesus presenting this shocking and really absurd image of true human flourishing. And it's contrary to everything that our culture would define as flourishing. So as a church family, uh, over the last eight weeks, and this week and next week, we've been committed to this sermon. We've been committed to reading the text over and over. Hopefully, many of you have read this sermon every week, maybe even every day. And we have uncomfortably, let's be honest, uncomfortably but willingly been reconstructing our thinking about what it means to live with Jesus. It's critical to be familiar with this text, really. It's absolutely critical. So let me remind you, since this is my last chance to preach in this specific series, uh, I have two quotes that I just had to repeat from sermons I've shared in this series so far. Uh, This is John Stott describing the Sermon on the Mount. He says, It's the most complete description anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counterculture. Here's a Christian value system, ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude to money, ambition, lifestyle, and network of relationships, all of which are totally at variance with those in the non-Christian world. And this Christian counterculture is the life of the kingdom of God, a fully, listen listen to this, a fully human life indeed, but a life lived out under the divine rule. That's good, isn't it? Fully human, but it's a life lived under the divine rule. Jonathan Pennington, who has a great book on the Sermon on the Mount, He says this about Matthew 5, chapter 5 through 7. Jesus' words penetrate us with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to break up our interior soil. This sermon, he says, cuts through us with the sharp edge of trials and with the struggles it provokes. It overturns our ideas, reverses the obvious, thwarts our desires, and bewilders us, leaving us poor and naked before God. All this in order to prepare a place within us for the seed of new life. Does the seed of new life sound good to anybody this morning? Anybody else want to say you need the power of the Holy Spirit to keep messing with your world? I know I need that, so if you're with me, let's look at chapter 7, verses 7 uh, 7 through 12. Chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Uh, There is a red Bible located right underneath you. If you didn't bring your Bible today and... I also want to make sure if the Bible's new to you that you can find Matthew 7 quickly. It's on page 1505 in the Red Bibles. Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. This passage is one of the most encouraging, 
hope-filled, hope-giving sections in the entire Sermon on the Mount, maybe in the whole New Testament. It's where the disciples are given this clear, straightforward invitation to seek God to meet their needs, right? So much of this sermon has been countering our desire to control our lives and give up our security, to trust our lives into the hands of God, to trust him for daily provision and needs, and to trust him with confidence. Not maybe God is going to show up today, but yes, he is, absolutely. Full confidence. It's the invitation to not see God merely as an all-powerful deity, but also as a good, caring father, a daddy. So let's look at the text. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now that statement right there underscores what you've heard previously in this sermon from chapter 6, Verses 25 through 34, we are not to worry, we are not to be anxious over our daily needs. Instead, we're invited and commanded to ask and seek and knock. In the Greek, all three verbs are in the present tense, conveying a clear picture of persistence in prayer. And the other three verbs, will be given, will find, will be opened, they're all in future tense. So how do we make sense of these tenses? It could be translated as follows. Keep on asking, and it'll be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking will continually receive And he who keeps on seeking will continually find. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open. This language is consistent throughout the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me, find me. James 4, 8, come near to God, and he's going to come near to you. See these promises throughout the text about intimacy and nearness to God, to seek and to go on some voyage, this impossible search. God's saying, seek me, and then he's hiding from you. He's inviting you to come to him, and he comes to us as well. Also worth noting, a move of God is not conditional upon our perfect or flawless prayer routine. I wish I knew where the phrase quiet time started because you got to have 12 minutes as an introduction. You got to be on a couch with a candle and a hot coffee, no distractions. So you got to get up real early once you have four children. And then. 12 minutes you focus on the introduction, and then you get to read some of the text, and then you get to uh, filter the text through your thoughts, and then ask the Holy Spirit what he's teaching you, and then you have to journal. Oh, if you are godly, you journal, right? It's like somebody sometime in history said, this is the exact routine of a quiet time, and unless you do it this way, you will not experience God. I think that's bull. You experience God however you want to experience God. You seek, you knock, you will discover. And so it's not this invitation where we have to abide by this perfect schedule, this flawless prayer routine. 
If it was, it would look like this, Matthew 7, 7, in a fashion that would give us all fits, especially those of us who are a tad bit legalistic about our faith. Uh, This is not what Matthew 7, 7 would sound like. Ask every hour, starting at 4 o'clock a.m. until midnight, and in at least seven different languages, and it'll be given to you. Seek in the dark without a flashlight in the pit of rattlesnakes, and you will find... Knock in perfect rhythm, 24 times per minute, and with only three knuckles at a time. And the door will be opened. It's, that's not what the Bible's saying. Open your heart. Seek. Ask. Knock. Your prayer life is your prayer life. It's not supposed to look and sound like anybody else's prayer life. Your relationship with God is not built. Yeah, we can learn and we're taught by spiritual mentors, by parents, by grandparents, faithful men and women of God that teach us how to enter into God's presence. But your prayer life is your prayer life. However you want to connect with God, ask, seek, knock. The outcome is not on our skill, uh, our spiritual skills, our persistence, eloquence, or your spiritual maturity. The outcome of prayer is fully rooted in the character and kindness of our gracious God, period. I believe one of the hardest prayers that a Christian could ever learn to authentically pray is this. Lord, your will be done. That's hard. Romans 12.2 declares that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now many of you today, in the past and certainly in the future, and possibly right this very moment, You're really wrestling with God. I'm here today to ask you, I'm curious, do you believe that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect? Do you believe that? If you are honest before him today, do you believe that? For me, many times, I'm going to tell you, I I have knocked on the door, and I already knew exactly what I wanted to see on the other side of the door. You with me on that? And there's nothing wrong with that. God invites us to pray for help. God invites us to pray for healing, to pray for more hope or deliverance or provision. God invites us to do so. But sometimes our desires in prayer, listen, our desires in prayer and the outcome, what's behind the door, they don't line up. And what do we do then? I think this has happened for all of us. On October 15th, 2015, with a thrilling story for another day, we departed the DR Congo with our two adopted children, Gracia and Andre, and we safely made it home to Tulsa. And the following days were a little bit of a blur for all of us. But one of the moments that I vividly recall in that season of our lives was Halloween night. The kids had only been home for two weeks, and we put them in costumes to go trick-or-treating. It's great parenting, right? Like, that's the only English they knew at the time. Trick-or-treat. Welcome to America, right? The funniest thing is, when they had to learn about Halloween, over a month later, we were down the street seeing somebody, and we knocked on the door, and they opened it, and Andre goes, trick-or-treat! Because I had failed my son... I failed to teach him 
son, this is just something we do one night a year. He wanted candy in late November. Um, But on Halloween night, after 10 to 15 houses down the street, we knocked on Brandon and Emily Geister's door. The door opened, and there stood Oki, an 85-pound Burmese mountain dog. Let me tell you something. My son, who was new to Halloween and new to candy, immediately threw his candy basket as high in the air as you could possibly imagine. He turned to the street, and he ran as fast as those little legs could move, screaming the entire way. Friends, Andre knocked expecting one thing, but he got another. Isn't that true for us? We knock expecting one thing, but we get something else. God God invites us into this mystery. Ask, seek, knock. But sometimes our desires and prayer and the outcome, what's behind the door, they don't line up. And it's in those moments, those are the rawest moments of our spiritual lives, that our faith is put in the furnace isn't it? And there the invitation is to trust. Just to fully trust in the character and kindness of our gracious God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Verse 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So we see this comparison between dads, human fathers compared with the Father in heaven. And these, of course, are rhetorical questions. No parent, even a bad parent, has a kid walk up and say, can I have this? And you give them a stone and a snake, right? So Jesus is rhetorically saying, no, inconsistent and flawed daddies on earth still have this natural desire to give good gifts to their children. It's natural. So why would a disciple ever expect anything less from God? Why? Why do we ever expect anything less? The bottom line here is God is faithful and God is trustworthy. God is faithful, and God is trustworthy. He's not some cosmic killjoy with a warped sense of humor. And I realize for some of you here, I do, you have unpleasant experiences with a parent. I know that's true. And first, I'm deeply sorry. Statistically, I know that is present here today. With all sincerity in my heart, I beg you not to let the failures of your earthly parent diminish your trust in your Father in heaven. And while none of us can erase the past, I do want to speak this over your life today and maybe over your pain today. Put that slide up. And I just want you to read this out loud with me if you believe it, if you need this to really enter into your core today. Let's say this together. God is faithful and trustworthy. Now, for some of you who are wrestling with him currently, maybe you haven't said that or thought that in some time. So I'm going to have you say it one more time because I know it felt good. You ready? 
God is faithful and trustworthy. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You've heard of the golden rule, right? Uh, I found a few golden rules this week, and I figured I'd share with them Share, you, uh, share with you these golden rules. These are good. There's a golden rule for arguments right here. If you're losing, start correcting their grammar. <laughs> All of you have done that, right? And then here's a golden rule for work right here. The boss's jokes are always funny. <laughs> if I don't even know what Bill's talking about, I'm like, Bill, it's great. You're hilarious. And then here's the two golden rules for marriage, not just one. Here's the two. The wife is always right. And then here's the second golden rule. When you think she's wrong, you just got to read back to rule number one. I did some research this week to find out the origin of this title, the golden rule. And there are many theories, but most believable and my personal favorite is a claim from the the 3rd century Roman Emperor Alexander. He was so impressed, so impressed with this Christian principle as a way of life that despite not being a Christian himself, he had this phrase from Matthew 7.12 inscribed in gold on the wall of his chamber. The golden rule. And this is a phrase that has impacted the church. Each one of our lives, your parents and grandparents have slapped you upside the head with this phrase. And it's also spread Jesus' teachings beyond the walls of our church and into the broader culture. Uh, The state of Kentucky Department of Motor Vehicles, just for example, concludes uh, their state driving test with the following. Treat other drivers as you would want to be treated. Right? And myself, I don't read rules like that. So the golden rule is what we recognize as the posture of Jesus. It is a call to Jesus followers. If you are a Jesus follower here today, it's a call on your life to live others focused. William Barclay uh, says this verse is the summit and peak of Jesus' sermon, the capstone of the whole discourse And he says in one sentence, it's a summary of the Old Testament's teaching, a summary of the law and the prophets. It's what this campout crew will teach 400 kids this week. Be others-centered. God first, others second, myself third. The I'm third lifestyle. As an adult, I'm still working on figuring that out. Others focused. So, if we're genuinely serious about applying the golden rule in our lives, if we are with authenticity before God and the call and command from his scripture today, interested in submitting to this, let me close by sharing what I think this looks like. Allow the Holy Spirit to refine your heart as I read these phrases. We don't seek revenge as Christians. We don't do it. We don't bear grudges or allow the seed of resentment to grow in our hearts. We look after the widow and the orphan. We visit the captive. We pray for the sick. This is what God asks in the Bible. We don't just hear the word, we do the word, right? We share abundantly with others in need. We eagerly search 
for opportunities to sacrifice. We control our tongue. We guard our words from gossip and slander and insults. And we are tender-hearted. We're kind to one another. We forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. We live with a hunger to give rather than receive. We have a desire to help others in their struggles and in their hardships. We bear one another's burdens. We see an opportunity to do good for our neighbor, and we take action. We understand that if we give away all we have, including our very lives, but we don't have love, we gain absolutely nothing. We love with patience and kindness, and we put aside envy and pride, and we do not rejoice in wrongdoing. And our love, Christian, is so fierce. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Faith, hope, and love all abide. But we start and end with love. You want to love others in that way? I want to. I'm trying to. Jesus made it pretty clear. People will know you are his disciple by the way you love one another. John 13, 35. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 12. Isn't that the golden rule right there? Every one of us here has the desire to be loved. And everyone out there has the desire to be loved as well. Everyone in your world, in your family, your neighborhoods, your offices, your schools, your teams, whatever you're a part of, everyone has that desire to love. Let me pray over us this morning. And I invite you to open your heart really before God right now and ask for his help. Jesus, you're the lover of my soul. I'm asking you today to teach me how to love like you, to give me strength to resist the temptation to live in this culture around me in a way that's satisfied and content and comfortable. God, give me greater passion to love my neighbor. Give me self-control when I'm impatient. Give me opportunity to share with others who grieve. Give me the privilege of meeting another person's need for your glory. Show me the orphan. Show me the widow. Show me the sick. Show me the vulnerable. Show me the discouraged. Show me the marginalized. And as you do, God, use me. Make my heart tender. This is what I'm asking. This is what I'm seeking. This is me knocking today. Forgive me for the times that my flesh controls my mind. So today I cast my resentment and my grudges and my bitterness and my anger, my selfishness, my pride, my gossip, my apathy at your feet. Heal me today of these sins. I want people to know I'm yours by the way that I love. So 
help me to love the way that you've loved me. 